Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Okay, Brett, we are here. We're where? Where are we at? We're here. We're we're in our podcast zone. We're in we're in the podcast cloud. Yep, we're in the cloud, the zone. Um, we have such an exciting conversation today. I don't want to take forever introducing it because it's just so rich and so wonderful. Well, and I just want to applaud you for even making this possible because again, this is one of those people who I think he has a blue check mark. I mean, maybe. I just heard so much about him. I've been following him for years, and I think I did see some of his first Advent creations like four years ago, so I started following him um, and and just seeing his work in the world, and I was just really intrigued by it. But, you know, he's he's kind of one of those. I mean, he's, he's yeah, he's a little bit. But but no, I think when Un, I'm untouchable in some way. I don't know. Well, like we're not untouchable. He's not like no. He's not a statue. No, he's not. I just mean like he's got some cred to him where sure. he might be harder to get in like touch with. You might with. have to go through a couple uh, of layers so, of people yeah, to get some to management. Him. Yeah, and the other day we're standing in the bathroom and you go, you know what? I think I'm going to DM Scott the painter and see if he wants <laughs> to be on our podcast. And I was like, whatever. Well, and, and you heard back from me in like three minutes, right? Yeah. I'm so pumped. And this is where, and I'm so th- thankful because you're going to hear on the podcast, he's probably about to take a little break from his DMs for a while because he's going to go, he's doing some more creating. Yeah. And so he's going to recluse a little bit. And you know what? Thank God it wasn't now because that's how I got a hold of him. I just slid into his DMs, man. Well, that's what I love about you. You're just willing to just go ask whoever to be on this here Jesus Said Love podcast. Not just and- whoever. Well, but I mean, people who have some. You're willing to, to take say. a risk to, like, I asked an astronaut to be on, and yeah. he is still yet to respond. Well, maybe and I'll ask him. I know him, right? <laughs> and he still hadn't responded. And I'm like, just because you're an astronaut and you spend a year on the space station doesn't mean you don't get to respond to me in the DMs. Well, maybe that's the difference, is that he feels that kind of heat and arrogance coming off you, and people don't feel that coming off I don't, me. I don't know <laughs> if it's heat and arrogance. I think that's a little dramatic, but whatever. <laughs> But this is a great conversation, it's and so we good. had a ball, and it's great to know that he lives in Austin now, just down the road from us, and who knows, maybe we can go have a meal together and yeah, talk in more. person, so one day. Enjoy our conversation on this second week of Advent yeah. as we talk about peace mm-hmm. with Scott the Painter. Scott Erickson. I think I'm super intrigued to just start with like wh- who you are, where did you grow up? Like, tell us, mm. tell us who, where do you come from? You know, we kind of know you have, we know who you are a little bit now because you're, you, you're doing some great work on Instagram. You've got a book out now, but, but how did you get to where you are now? Um, well, I am from, I was born in LA, but I grew up in like Seattle. So I moved when I was young. But I feel like I every time I go to LA, I'm like, that's right, these are my peeps. And um, <laughs> when I go over to Prop's house, I'm like, yeah, I can, I can roll here. And he's like, no, man, <laughs> no, you're no, you're pretty white bread. Um, he's never said that to me. Of course, <laughs> he's so inclusive. That's me projecting on him. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I grew like. I feel in my bones. It's, I say this because now I live in Austin, Texas. But yeah. one of the things that I have become aware of is that, and it's probably like where you grow up as your neurology is developing, like that environment gets in, enmeshed with it. So yeah. I feel most at home in the world in like the Pacific Northwest, forest, ocean, mm. cold, damp, mountains, that kind of, orca whales, all the things. Pretty much anything from the movie Free Willy. That's like my... <laughs> 
That's my jam. Enneagram, did, you like an Enneagram 4 environment. Yeah, yes, I am the patron saint of Enneagram 4s. So I, uh, uh, yeah, like the whole Twilight series, I get it. Um, oh my gosh, <laughs> love that. Um, but... But you're in uh, th- Austin. But we're in Austin because we needed a break from those damn winters because they are yeah. they are long. Like, yeah. uh, it, you know, I just anybody who I met would, who would move to like the Northwest, I'd be like, it's okay in February if you feel like putting a gun in your mouth. Everybody wow. does. It's really wow. it's wow. a long time to be in the dark. Wow. And um, so we, for a number of reasons, we moved here. Mostly friendship, change of pace, evolving. But a lot of it was like, let's try some sunshine. And who knew that the sun actually <laughs> leaves space and comes and like walks around your neighborhood all day long yeah. for a few months? Yeah, yeah, it blitzes you. <laughs> I didn't understand the PTSD of summer, but now I do. Like, thank you. Like, I'm like, it's cool out right now. I'm like, Haha, great, but summer's coming. So, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, no, like we're like, oh, 95. Oh, 95 is going to yeah. feel so awesome when it's 95. <laughs> it's like trial by fire, literally, when you're living in Austin, Texas. Yeah. 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 I, when we moved here, I was like, uh, after talking to people for a while, I was like, it seems what happens is that a dragon comes, <laughs> comes every year and like destroys society. And then everybody like recoups and rebuilds their lives. Yeah. And then the next year the dragon comes again. And, uh, <laughs> and we forget somehow. <laughs> we forget, we forget okay. Okay. Right. So, okay. So anyways, so North, yeah, we keep talking about weather in Texas, but, uh, uh, I grew up in the Northwest and uh, have spent a lot of my life there. Uh, as a vocation, um, I, I was trained as a high school teacher, so I was okay. a high school art teacher for a bit. And then uh, at 27, I distinctly remember uh, my prep period. Uh, I was writing on the board, and I stopped, and I was like, there's something else for me. I just, I'm not sure what it is, but I know I'm being invited to something else. That started a long conversation with the Almighty and myself and just kind of my existence and was like, my conclusion was if I don't try to be an artist, whatever that means, because I didn't really quite know, uh, I'll always regret it. I got to try at least. And so I quit teaching, kept waiting tables, Mm -hmm. which is the backup plan for every artist. And um, I still, I would still work one shift a week if I could. Mm. Like maybe not right now with three kids, but I did yeah. for a while. I just did it for fun. <laughs> and so, I made, like, it's so <laughs> proximate to humanity. I oh, mean, yeah. It's, yeah. And just to like, just fun chat with people for like a six hour shift and yeah. get tips from it. And I was like, I don't care how many <laughs> napkins I need to roll. I, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I have done a number of things to get me to where I'm at now, but I, I started early on doing this kind of like live painting. Yeah. Um, if you hear live painting and you imagine something, I didn't do what you imagined. I did something. Oh, you didn't, <laughs> didn't you, didn't you do that thing where you like, you're painting like yes. upside down and screw and then you flip and it's like, yeah, bam, it's, it's Albert Einstein or Jimi Hendrix or Jesus. Yeah, you didn't, no, you I didn't, didn't did do that. that. <laughs> nope. I never played like cheesy music and then danced to it, jumped up and down. I was just a boring white guy standing there making an image that you would want to hang on your wall. Like, and, and, and that translated everything that was going on. So, I got, uh, I had some great opportunities. I ended up doing like the conference circuit for a while and then a lot of churches and concerts and things like that. Uh, that eventually led me to some artist in residencies through churches or organizations and then uh, started, well, I mean, we're covering like 15 years. Really yeah. Close, but there, all of that helped me really to define a, um, a visual vocabulary that made sense for me and probably another really key moment was, what is it, four years ago now? I found myself in Portland, Oregon, where we lived for eight years. Uh, I had been I had been let go from this design agency that brought us there. I had spent a couple years partnering with the church, but being independent, but they gave me a space, and then I lost that space, and I found myself, another church, uh, some friends of mine who ran a church, I know a lot of church people, uh, they <laughs> gave me a spot in their basement that I set up a studio for about eight months before we I set one up in my house. And I found my, and they kept their trash down there once a week. And I found myself in this like <laughs> basement studio with no windows and trash. And the converse, and what it led me to was going, nobody cares about what you're doing, which isn't mm. true. But that's what obscurity does. Obscurity yeah. takes you to the spot where I wasn't involved in anything, I wasn't involved mm-hmm. in any organization. Mm-hmm. I was just all alone in a basement. And mm-hmm. the question was, 
what do you want to talk about? What mm-hmm. do you, Scott, what do you want to talk about? Not what does this leader want to talk about and how would you translate what they're saying? What do you mm-hmm. want to talk about? And in that moment, I, I was like, uh, I hate how we talk about God in this country. I, it, makes, <laughs> it really makes no sense to me anymore. Well, the things that are resonating with me are more about from poets and uh, church mystics. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't want to talk about God. I want to talk about God the way that makes sense to me, at least. Uh, I was like, I don't love, I hate the art that we have. <laughs> I want yeah. to continue developing um, something that feels like it's contextually relevant. Um, something that gives space for absurdity and pain and uh, grief, as well mm-hmm. as joy and hope and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. Uh, and um, what was my final thing? I think I was like, and yeah, this is what I want to do. I think I was just really those. Like, I want to talk about spirituality in a way that that makes sense. And is um, that what is that what led you? Because you said that was four years ago, and I know this book, Honest Advent, was birthed out of 2016 so yeah about that time yeah it was during that time where uh was like the last presidential election which was really divisive and exhausting and then there was syria uh, Mm -hmm. civil war uh zika flint Mm -hmm. water crisis mass Mm -hmm. shootings all this stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and then and what happened is just like we always do in november as i walked into a store and like christmas had descended upon western Mm. society all the decorations and stuff and i I remember just having this moment going, this makes no sense to the world mm-hmm. I live in. This feels mm-hmm. really irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that led me to a prayerful journey, which was like, does Christmas have anything to say about now? And is incarnation just something that happened back then or is it still happening now? And mm-hmm. where, if it is, what, how is it happening? Where is it mm-hmm. happening? And, and that led me on a journey to, to, to really start to understand that like, as every human being has had to come into the world through vulnerability, uh, the divine incarnated through that same avenue, which mm-hmm. is human, human vulnerability. And, mm-hmm. the, and the place that we still can connect with the divine, I would say that Jesus is still incarnating in our lives, is in our vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. in the places where we don't have it together, mm-hmm. or we're left exposed. Or it's not even a weakness thing, it's where we can be touched and honest. I think mm-hmm. honesty... Uh, honesty is the doorway to hearing the voice of God in your life. And mm. that sounds easy, but it's actually incredibly difficult. Right. Because you'll have to really see, <laughs> you'll have to be honest with yourself and yeah. that, uh, that nobody loves that. <laughs> um, so, so you've said two times, I don't know if you know this, but you've talked about being seen. You've talked about obscurity. Yeah. Um, is there a, for you as an artist, do you feel like you have a tension between wanting to be seen and wanting to reveal like, cause creation is, re- is also revealing something, um, mm-hmm. But yet also that obscurity, is there like a push-pull with the, I want to create and I want this to be seen, and yet I find myself, I'm just wondering as an artist, I'm a creative yeah. as well, so I'm just yeah. wondering if that tension, what that feels like as a creative to you. That's a great question, I because I am actually uh, working on another book project and uh, one of the things I'm navigating is I need to s- I need to step back into obscurity for a bit mm-hmm. to learn and listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I've been trying to negotiate is well, how do I keep a presence, say mm-hmm. through social media, and yet go to obscurity? Do I just mm-hmm. fully disengage for a while, or do I just set it all up and then have yeah. a? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, my friend Kendra Adachi, who's an author, like right now she's working on a book and she's just like, hey, everybody, I'm just going to uh, turn off all my DMs for yeah. this season. It's not forever. It's just for a season. And yeah. uh, I think right now, because of Honest Advent, uh, pretty much every day I'm like sending people ebook links and answering <laughs> questions and Thank you. helping them with, <laughs> yeah, helping them with like their, their book studies and things yeah. like that. So probably after Christmas yeah. that I'll, I'll disengage somehow. I mean, I have a let the secrets out. I have a pretty good, uh, 
library of content. So yeah. a lot of Instagram is just recycling what sure. was last year and then yeah. adding a few things. Maybe like once a week, I'll add something new. Yeah. Uh, my goal is <laughs> to get just 365 days of content and then just recycle that. Just, for yeah, a, a pump decade. it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that. But I, I think another thing you're saying is that I've, uh, and this is a weird, not a, it's not arrogant, but I have come to understand that the rhythm, my rhythm in the world is to share my process, yeah. is to, uh, like I would say, the core thing I understand about my job is to be a listener, mm-hmm. um, is to go into the silence mm-hmm. and uh, take dic- dictation from the silence is mm-hmm. really what I do. And I translate that into imagery or prose, and then I, I help lead people into that same transformational process. And I've mm-hmm. just come to understand that that is kind of my role. Mm-hmm. Um and, and work. And, and so I, I try to as humbly and as faithfully as I can to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, whereas I like that's, it, that is what it is for now. It might not right. be that way forever, but at least it's this season yeah. is what I'm asked to do. Did you always have, and, and you talked about knowing a lot of church people too. Did you always have this thread of faith where you brought up in the church that, because mm-hmm. what, what is that thread of, of faith like? Yeah, I come from a long history of like pastors and missionaries, at least on my dad's side, uh, on my mom's side too. Uh, And I've always been a part of a faith community. Okay. um, And have just like always, my friends are, a lot of them are pastors. Okay. And that's sometimes unhelpful. (laughs) Well, (laughs) like you're competing with a lot of other people who also want their friendship. So that's the difficult thing. Uh, but I, and I too have been a leader Mm -hmm. and have been involved in vocational ministry. So I understand a lot of that Mm -hmm. dynamic and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, it's just, yeah. And I think I, because of that, a lot of these women and men who I know who are church leaders, um, by me not, especially not being in that right now, I can be a safe space for them to yes. talk. And that's partly my training as a okay. spiritual director is I yeah. can provide, I can be that confidant in those kinds of complicated areas. Yeah. What What is it like for you to go from West Coast spirituality to center of the Bible Belt? Granted, it's Austin. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of Trumpers in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So... The truth is, I don't know because I've only uh, I've only been in Austin as for during a pandemic. So I don't even I don't know. Uh, I have not connected with anything here. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm actually like today I'm having I was having a pretty hard time, uh, and I've just before this was working through some mental health stuff because mm-hmm. I just feel like a stranger every day. Mm-hmm. I felt like a stranger for seven months, and that mm-hmm. is not just because I'm an Enneagram Four, mm-hmm. but it's also because like the ways in which to connect with this community are very limited. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everything's baked in with this kind of like, cool, we'll we'll, we'll hang out sometime in the future. Uh, We don't have a faith community. Um, We just have a few friends that we see and that's about it. So Mm -hmm. I've been trying to find like simple ways to just connect. Like I've been going swimming every week at Barton Springs because it's open. Uh, finding certain places to walk, but you know, like socializing with people, it's just, it's been really tough. So, yeah. And I don't know, but yes, I don't know about the religion here Mm -hmm. or religious community here. Mm -hmm. So did you grow up, um, knowing about Advent because now you write this book about Advent, is that a new theme for you to kind of dive into or had you always been curious about it? Mm, No, I grew up Lutheran, but uh, like more evangelical Lutheran. So not not a lot of seasonal things, like even Lent was maybe not really anything we did. Uh, It's just as I've become more of an ecumenical mutt over Mm -hmm. my life that I've been learning these like church, like probably in the last... Uh, five years have really been interested in the church calendar, mm-hmm. um, in the lectionary, and and develop you know seeing this long history of these rhythms that are really helpful in spiritual formation. Mm. And so, I've done a lot with Lent, and then I'd have been encouraged uh, to create stuff for Advent. People would be like, "Do you have a series on Advent?" And mm. <laughs> uh, so it was really over these last few years of just going, well, what, what would the visuals I would make for Advent and, and, and really trying to awaken wonder again into a season I really love, but have become, 
uh, it just it has felt. Uh, I don't know. Just like the magic has gone away. In yeah. Yeah. Well, your your book, I just sounded super tech. Your book, I just sounded <laughs> very Texan. Um, it does awaken wonder. Yeah. It It is so, um, what's the word? I wrote it down. It's so um, provocative. Mm. It's very provocative in terms of not just your imagery, but even your prose, your words, what you are inviting us into feels, um, in some ways, like, can we talk about it like this? Yeah. So I want to read a couple, I want to read a couple of chapter, just the names of the chapters. Like just, I'm just going to go out of order. So light, annunciation, motherhood, uh, breath, omega, assumptions, unease, mighty room. Here's my favorite goop. Goop. <laughs> I mean, how in the world does goop relate to Advent? <laughs> Tell me in one sentence. Oh, uh, I think the best line in the whole book is from that chapter, which yes! is saying, a clown car of human soup. <laughs> isn't that? It's so good. It? Uh, yeah. Friends, so much comes out when a baby is born, like a clown car of human soup. Yeah. Sometimes the mother poops while birthing. Uh, It's a a detail mostly left out of baby birth books. (laughs) That is so, I mean, as one dad to another, I so, they didn't tell us that in the books. Nope. All the things. Wow. Yeah. 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 And so, and that is just uh, from my experience as, as a witness to this whole process, I I, I say in the book, I'm like, I'm, I'm not a woman, but I'm married to one. And I've been, uh, I've been alongside three pregnancies and births up close and have, uh, and as I saw and witnessed what happened, um, and then looked at the visualization in the Christian tradition that I'm a part of, I saw this disconnect. I saw this like sanitization, which is understandable because, um, like, you don't really want to go into a chapel and look at an Advent painting and see the alien-like baby <laughs> they give you right after birth, you know. Um, and so, like, it, it, because of reverence, because of honoring, it causes us to clean it up, you know, make mm. it beautiful. Um, and so I understand that uh, human inclination to do that when we're making things sacred. But I, I think what happens, though, is that uh, it's it's small baby steps to removing us from thinking that sacred moments can happen in our very messy and goopy mm. lives because we go well I I'm so much more aware of my aches and pains and mm. fluids and, and and things like that and how could my life be a place where sacredness could partake in mm. and so that that was a very intentional move uh, and a push in these meditations to go the 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 goopiness of humanity is how the divine comes into the world is how the, like every sacred moment happened in individuals who fart, you know? Yeah. 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 So human. Yeah. I'm like, look, the Pope has diarrhea and mother (laughs) Teresa had a monthly period. Like, like we are a mix of biology and spirit and sacredness (laughs) is going to happen intertwined with our goopy and smelly Mm. biology. Like it's just, that's part of it. Yeah, and you say to that point, you say somewhere at the beginning um, that we, the sanitation, hold on, let me get to it. Okay, female biology has been stigmatized by mainstream religion for too long as an avenue for wayward lust, a means of bloody uncleanliness, or a subservient incarnation to those who don't have a uterus. And yet, right there in the text is the celebration of a woman's biology as the means in which the divine incepted grew and emerged into this world. It loves so much. That's so good. (laughs) Scott, I I got tears in my eyes. I felt that text in the marrow of my bones because it is exactly the wonder that I've never been invited into as a woman. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I probably, if I went back and rewrote that, I would have pushed a little bit more on that and said here, you know, I'm referencing each thing, which was like in the old Testament, God who invented women, you know, was like, Oh, you have a monthly period, which I came up with, I guess. Oh uh, yeah. You're going to have to go outside of the camp cause you're unclean. Yeah. It's like, what? So there's already this like 
baked in like there's a problem there's a problem you. you're unclean because mm-hmm. of your biology and then uh, and then in the history of the church there have been men who have taken passages and said look you're subservient in your leadership and in your knowledge you're not allowed to teach you're not above us mm-hmm. and they've used that and then I grew up in a culture that was like sorry ladies if I ride in a car with you or in an elevator with you I'm gonna have sex with you so you're yeah. the problem and we need to deal with that problem and it's constantly this like diminishing of female biology yeah. and, I, and I as a man who benefits this is the privilege part yeah. who benefits from these things i wanted to in my own small way say uh no yeah no, no this is all wrong and, when it's and it's hurting all of us and it's hurting all of us yeah. yes yes yeah. and i want to give honor and and uh, and and highlight where it's like look incarnation comes through specifically female biology mm-hmm. and that's something we need to uh let uh mm. affect us how we how we think about um what are the like what are the dimensions of a community where this is happening mm-hmm. so, yeah. so beautiful i think i think of our dinner table last night where one of my daughters um okay kids if you're listening i don't think they'd listen to this but anyway <laughs> I, our kids are old enough to have periods hey kids start it off now you know mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean our girls were talking about like their periods at the dinner table and it it's still a rest you know coming from our southern evangelical culture like yeah. for even both of us it still arrests us for the freedom that they have because yeah. we have raised them to not be ashamed of their bodies i mean the line of work that we do in our ministry is about empowering women and overcoming sexual shame and all of that and yet when we're brought face to face with it at the dinner table. Brett's like, can we talk about tampons and well, how no, heavy I'm, I'm people just, bleed I'm right there, now? Like, I'm eating. And, <laughs> yeah. and and Lucy Lucy goes I shouldn't name names. Name but I just oh dang. Lucy goes uh, I, so I started my period today and I go, okay, really? Do we have to do that right now? And she goes, dad, I'm just shedding the lining of my uterus. It's natural. <laughs> She's like and, giving it back. And to so us. it was this beautiful tension of, I love that you're so free yeah. and you, we've made a space for you to be able to say that. That's wonderful. And on the other side, I'm still trying to eat and yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but, <laughs> I get it. I get it. That's, that's wonderful that you've created that. And, and some of that influence, I remember just a, a friend of mine who's a woman was just like, when am I going to be able to talk about my period without having mm. to feel embarrassed by it? And I was yeah. Because like, she's like, because every woman ever has had one. I was like, you're right. We yeah. should be okay with that. But I'm, I can see like, but maybe not while I'm eating. I guess. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, yeah. but dudes, you know, yeah, yeah, I have a son who right now he's 10 and he's in this phase of anytime you hear the word nuts oh, yeah. or balls, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's he like... is laughing and yet we celebrate that. Or we yeah, laugh, exactly. we laugh or we go, that's it. cute. We oh, it's, it's oh, look at him. He just His said, see these nuts and we ours. say, that's cute. It's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. So what does this mean for us as uh, people of faith? If our listeners are listening right now and you're like, what does all this biology have to do with our faith? Like, why do we need to talk about God incarnate coming through, uh, you know, a woman's body? Um, why, Why do we even need to talk about it? What does that mean for us as a spiritual community? So how would you answer that? Well, I would say that, the vulnerabilities discussed in this book are not all just biology. They're also emotional or psychological or situational. Um, I do think the importance of biology is that um, the way that our, our spirituality and our biology are tied together. Mm-hmm. And probably y'all and myself grew up in cultures where that tried to separate that and just said our spirit's what really matters. We just got to save souls and not deal with bodies. Um, and yet we know now that uh, through modern science and psychology that trauma is held in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like really practically, I have, a friend, I have friends who do faith healing stuff. Yeah. And they're like, often when we're praying for somebody to have like a pain go away, 
we have to go into their trauma and deal with that. And when we do, then the physical pain's gone. So uh, our our, our spiritual and mental pain is tied to our bodies. Mm. I would say uh, like Western religion has really uh, disembodied itself from these practices. And yet, if we look in scripture, um, most of the worship services have to deal with food. Mm. Um, even communion is it's a it's a physical act mm. there's so many like if you look at all the practices and and um festivals and stuff they're all physical they're mm. not just sitting there going get in touch with my spirit it's by physically doing something that we're nourishing our spirits mm. so uh I, it isn't anything new as much as it's going look at this long tradition that we're a part of um, and so I, I'm and and really for me, like, and this is some of my work on like mental health. And um, I have a show called Say Yes, which is about the spectrum of suicide, uh, mm. which on that spectrum is fully like wanting to take your own life. But you can kill off parts of yourself mm. while you're still mm. alive. Wow. And, and one of uh, the ways I developed in uh, counter arguing those arguments was of developing these very like um, practices that are embodied practices. And I, and I think at the core of that, the conversation with the God who gave us the miracle of life, which suicide says, I don't want that miracle anymore. The antidote to that is to accept the gift of your incarnation, which is what this book is partly doing. Mm -hmm. Except like I, in say, yes, I say, um, you can't really experience like God wants, God is love and God wants to pour love out into you, wants to pour itself out into you, but you can't receive that love if you secretly hate who God made you to be. Because mm. this, your incarnation is the only thing that can, is the only container you've been given to receive love in. And if you hate it and are constantly trying to get rid of it, like all that love will fall flat. So there's, mm. the the only way to really know God is to, is to, <laughs> is to, is to own your own incarnation. Mm. And to make well, amends so with it. And and because that becomes the container in which love is held. You have no other container except your incarnation. Mm. And so Honest Advent is partly an exploration of that, but because it was looking at the incarnation as a means of what is this human vulnerability. You know, one of my muses as a teacher is the only reason we tell these old stories from the Bible is because they happened back then, but they're still happening today. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not just stories that happened back then. If they were, we would stop telling them. Right. Because we only tell the stories that are helping us with today. These stories illuminate that they're still going on today. Mm-hmm. And my prayer four years ago was like, is Christmas a memorial service or is it a birthday party? Is it something mm-hmm. that happened once and we just remembering how cool mm-hmm. it was back then? Or is it still happening today? Mm-hmm. And I would say if you go to any church and you ask all the kids whose birthday is Christmas, they'll go Jesus. So mm-hmm. they, we know it's a birthday party. So where's the birthday boy? Yeah. And how is that birthday party still happening in our midst now? Mm. I love yeah. that question. I love that invitation that you give us. Um, one of the things that you talked about is this fragmentation of of our bodies and our spirits and, um, really even the story of the fall becomes a story of hiding, of cutting off, of fragmentation. And that this divine God who comes in the form of flesh is really recovering our glory. It's recovering the glory of the flesh, the flesh that Brett and I were told as Southern Baptist evangelicals was bad. Yeah. Like your flesh is bad. And so to recover this sense of kindness and acceptance that our bodies are actually really good and that they teach us and reveal to us is, is what you're inviting us into. And I think that's just like, like, I feel like when you read your book, you can kind of just go, Oh, like, okay. Like there is something to celebrate here. And maybe, maybe what I've been celebrating or what I've been taught to celebrate is kind of the wrong celebration. You know, yeah. you mean for for Christmas? Yeah, for Christmas and and for church and for because uh-huh. because you're talking about Christmas, but you're kind of talking about yeah. Like, this book is a book about life. <laughs> Let's be it just, real. It's just looking through the. It's using these 
I don't, I think there's maybe like five chapters in the Bible that have to do with Christmas. Right. It's very small. It's not very, it's not a lot. So it's just using these, the small amount of stories mm-hmm. to, uh, to look at this larger thing of an, of an everyday life. Um, yeah. Well, you know, one of my disappointments, <laughs> it's taken me a long time to figure this out as a, you know, because when you work at a church, it's like Christmas and Easter. And it's like, <laughs> it, it's like Jesus is going to be born. He's going to be born. And Christmas Day comes, he's like, he's born. And you're like, great. Where is he? And then Easter is like, he's alive. Just say to your neighbor, he's risen. You're like, he's risen indeed. And then you're like, where is he? You know, and there's right. still this invisibility to the whole thing that's disheartening and I, I think we feel that lack of payoff when we do it year after year after year and and that was and that has been my my search and my longing has been like where are you showing up mm-hmm. I understand that there's a bit of this invisibility to the whole thing but where are you showing up and it and uh, I think it's in the it's in the chapter I think it's the fifth one or not given. Yeah, maybe it is given. Where uh, I quote Richard Rohr. So this is what mm-hmm. helped me. This is what helped me uh, kind of in my midlife crisis uh, when my spiritual practices were failing me. Is I learned about Franciscanism mm-hmm. uh, from Richard Rohr, and simply he says that the the physical world is the doorway to the spiritual world, mm-hmm. and the spiritual world is much much larger. And what helped me in that is that I had been a part of a faith tradition that had kind of preached disembodiedment that just said, there's this spirit realm. We can't wait till afterlife. And it kind of just started escaping from this life. And, uh, and I think I've, you know, you go through enough hardship in your life. I've had a number of friends die of young ages Mm. as you get married and when your friends have kids and then babies, (laughs) I've had a couple friends who have had stillborns Mm. and babies have died and Mm -hmm. you go, okay, uh, what about this life and and uh, and whatever is about the next life? I'm really not in charge of. And, yeah. and what was happening to me is that uh, I needed to find out that it's actually through this life that we uh, we connect to this larger reality. And the way uh, that happens is it's actually through embodied responses, embodied living. Mm. Jesus, there's no real evidence for God anywhere. Like. I mean, I guess you could say creation, like in Romans one twenty two, it says that. But like, uh, you can't. I say this in the book. You can't go to a mountain and and, and there's a floating golden god and be like, here's God. And yeah. He's like, Hi, I knew you were gonna come. Yeah. Um, like the way what we're given in Scripture is Jesus says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something yeah. to eat. And they're like, we never saw you. And he's like, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Yeah. So there's this when you. When you, in the act of doing it, in the act of kindness and love, this portal, in a way, to this larger reality opens up. And that's yeah. where we experience it, where you're in a situation. And I would say that's partly what happens when a baby is born. Yeah. Like, I understand like how a baby is born. I've had enough biology classes and I've watched enough videos and I've watched real birth. Mm-hmm. I understand what's happening, but then there's a part of it that I don't understand what's happening at all. Mm-hmm. Like there is this like inaudible, like breaking or mm-hmm. crashing. And like all of a sudden a life emerges and, you're, yeah. and it's like, it's, it's like the doorway to something larger. I just witnessed it. it, mm. it it's, I, it's the same thing for like, a sun, in, a, in a less glorious way, but like a sunset, which mm. West Texas, the only thing it has going yeah. for them is their sunsets. <laughs> but like uh, when you ask people, what's, why do you live where you live? And like, well, the sunsets are great. And you're like, okay. Um, you know, sunsets are great everywhere. That's yeah. the nature of a sunset. Um, but what is a sunset is a sunset's just a star going down over the horizon and the mm. light is refracting off the atmosphere and causing a color spectrum that's really mm-hmm. nice to watch. But we know what it is. But then there's another aspect of the sense that you're like, well, why does this make me feel like I'm alive? Yeah. yeah. Why is this filling me with wonder? Yeah. It's this like, I know what it is, but I also don't know what it is. And, and I think we have those moments, we'd call them holy moments or sacred moments where we're like, mm. I know what's happening, but I also don't know what's happening right mm-hmm. now. I'm, I'm, I'm being exposed to a larger reality that's unseen. Mm. And I think that happens with birth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we can get to for this mm-hmm. app. It's beautiful. Um, 
It's a beautifully written book. Like, well, thank you. <laughs> it's beautifully written. Um, but it's also beautifully, uh, there's beautiful visuals as well. Mm-hmm. What came first, mm. the art or the words? Let me rephrase that. The visual art or the written art? Uh, the, it, the visual art. Mm-hmm. It was the way to, that, at least that's how it started. Mm-hmm. The first few illustrations I did that four years ago were all um, pretty much a lot of the pregnancy ones that are in the, birth, mm-hmm. that are in the book. I started. I started with like let's let's show some real pregnancy. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you, your your take on the amniotic sac is wow. <laughs> How, what is your process of creating those images? Like very tactically, because I'm not a visual artist. So like, what do you do to make something like that? Um, well, I I. Uh, I people have no problem posting their birthing uh, videos and pictures on the internet. So I had a large selection to draw from. (laughs) Yeah. Can I just say like in birthing, you're filled with a certain kind of adrenaline that kind of keeps you from really (laughs) dealing with everything that's going on. Totally. But when you don't have that and you just straight up look up like birthing videos and pictures, like I had moments where I was like gagging. Where I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, so much, so much fluid. It is really, it's a different yeah. experience than right. being there. Because when you're there, you're like, oh, baby, blood, look at all that, wow, okay, blood, all the things. But when you just look it up, like on an afternoon where you're sipping some tea, yeah. it's a lot. It's so so much I just, ticket. I just, uh, I went through and I just looked at people's birthing pictures. Okay. And, uh, and at the time my friends were, it doesn't exist on Instagram anymore, but uh, actually, I should give a shout out to Melissa Reeves. Hmm. She, she ran this thing called uh, Mother Birth at hmm. Co., which was like a podcast. But it was when Instagram, because you know they're as they should, they were cutting down anything that was pornographic mm-hmm. or sexual. But then they gave a caveat like, if it's birth, we yeah. can, you can show it. So then Melissa was just like, we're going to put the craziest birth pictures on Instagram that we can. Yeah. And so I would follow her feed and I'd be like, oh, God, that is intense. <laughs> and the, but that is it. You're like, but this is how every human has come in through the world mm-hmm. is some is through this kind of intensity. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so like one of my favorite ones is, it's the woman on her knees and she's in a pool of her own blood and she's holding the baby because that's a very honest mm-hmm. picture of birth that it's mm-hmm. like I like this stuff came out of me but mm-hmm. the baby I'd been waiting for also did and yeah. I'm sitting here in the joy of that and like that's the that's the mixture of mm-hmm. it all so th- that was kind of the first uh like focus on that and then the next year and the next year I was then like well what about these other characters involved and mm-hmm. then what about these prophecies because like mm-hmm. I grew up in a church where my parents sang in the choir and every year they would sing Handel's Messiah and so Everlasting Father, Prince mm-hmm. of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor these are these are things that were like enmeshed in my experience of Advent mm-hmm. so I was like well what what is what does that mean? What does a wonderful counselor mean? Because mm. I had actually never heard anybody expound on that. Just <laughs> sing it. <laughs> and uh, I think what I've learned over the decades of doing this is that uh, our language is rooted in inner images, mm. or it's rooted in imagery. And when we use our words, we're trying to convey what we're seeing externally or internally, our thoughts or feelings. And what I found a lot of trip ups in religion are is that we're really uh, we're we're like really hard on our words. Mm. Like we like to word police. Like you didn't say it the way I say it. I don't know if you believe, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you ask, well, can you describe what you mean by that word? Mm-hmm. People often don't know. Like mm-hmm. uh, my dad, who I guess was worried that I was becoming too universalist I don't know but he was like do you think that Jesus is the way and I was like yeah but can you describe to me what the way is he's like what do you mean I was like well is it a rhythm is it a path is it a practice is it a like what is the way And he's like it is what it is it's the way and I was like okay but like yeah. in that and I'm not poo-hooing my daddy's delightful sure. man, but you know I was like Nobody knows what the way is. Yeah. Uh, they just know that that's what you're supposed to say to get in. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to take all these words like Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, and go, what does this mean? And mm. let me offer uh, a different, maybe, a, I don't know if it's a different perspective or, or it's just like, let's, 
I think maybe specifically with Mighty God is uh, that's the one where I offer a different perspective. And that's a picture of Jesus getting his butt mm, wiped as a baby. Yeah. I mean, like, so human. Just yeah, so... What, is, what does mighty mean? Because when we think that, it's like, yeah, God's like buff and a warrior and mm. beats everybody down. And you're like, yeah, but that's not... that's Jesus never portrayed that. Right. So maybe mighty means something different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And what an invitation. I know Brett is a fan of Roar's wild man to wise man uh, oh yeah book mm-hmm. Boy. And, yeah it's recovering what that kind of invitation is to this whole obsession we've had with war and victory and mm-hmm. you know conquering mm-hmm. um yeah and and we see that obviously i mean here god sends a baby and meek and mild you know a meek and mild uh, man who's turning the whole paradigm upside down it's just it's crazy. So this week in the Advent series is peace. It's week two. And um, your chapter on peace is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Um, it's I, short. It's short, but I love how you start off, you, you know, for unto us, a child is born to a son mm-hmm. give, is given. He'll be called Prince of Peace. And the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end and you talk about government systems and you lay out two government systems. I think it's interesting. I just want to read it because it's really great. A government is a system of rule that implements the strategies and policies created to propagate healthy and holistic ways of living together. Peace in this government can be accomplished a few ways. You can destroy everyone who has differing opinions about your way, Mm -hmm. which grossly sounds very (laughs) near. Apropos. Yeah eradicating all innate agency and uniqueness found in the world and end up with a government based on the rule of compliance and the threat of shameful destruction. Or you can love the (laughs) hell out of everybody by eternally offering your naked, vulnerable self as a loving way that overcomes fear, selfishness, greed, and death. That, my friend, is what we need today. I love the phrase, love the hell out of everybody. Yeah. Like that's a beautiful image of mm-hmm. loving hell, like extracting that love has this ability to extract yeah. hell and fear and torture. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. I mean, I think that's what, um, that's what I see Jesus doing like is yeah. Re- removing this, um, really fear. Uh, and, and removing all the, the things associated with fear. It's, uh, so, so I, I, my goal is to get more freaky in my spirituality and that's what I'm doing here. (laughs) But I, uh, I've, I've met a couple, uh, Christians who are probably like where you grew up, they would be, uh, counted as new age atheists or, or new age, like hippies and, scary, but, uh, I did a, a weekend spiritual retreat with mm-hmm. them that was really enlightening. And this one, uh, guy, John, uh, he just, ha- he has the gift of kind of seeing things and stuff. And we were working through some things, but he, he said, I see you on this journey and you started off like as this, he's like, I, this doesn't happen a lot, but he started, you started off with like this warrior with like a shield and a sword and all mm-hmm. of these things. And as you've gone on this journey, you've been slowly taking all of that stuff off and now you're just completely naked mm-hmm. and you're ready to move to the next to the last mm-hmm. phase or this next phase. He's like, do you know what that means? And as I sat <laughs> with it, I was like, I think it's because in my faith, I was given these metaphors of the army of God okay. mm-hmm. and taking, and, and I'm not, I'm not like rejecting sure. Paul's, like put on the, sure. this thing, but the way that it was given to me, it was like used in violence, even though mm-hmm. that whole passage is about spiritual stuff. And, but as I've been trans, like as I'm in my, let's use church words, in my sanctifying process of being transformed by the spirit, like I've started letting go all the defenses Mm -hmm. and I'm like the way of Jesus is to come is, is to be vulnerable, you know? And so I was like, I think that's what it's hitting at. At least that's where it's hitting me is like, I don't, even though the sword of the spirit, I think is important is like, but it's not against people. And like I'm laying, I'm taking all this stuff off to be vulnerable because that's what I see is 
on the cross is a naked and vulnerable savior. Yeah. Which, and how, Oh, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was going to say, which conquers all, right? I which mean, conquers all exactly. the, the killing is what conquers it. I mean, I, I even the, the intro passage you use when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Mm-hmm. So you have yep. this man of power hearing about this baby of peace yep. and he's disturbed by it. Mm. He's disturbed though, because he's going to have to give up all of his stuff. Mm. He, yeah. You know, and then he kills all those babies. Yeah. 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 And that's what it leads to is like anything against this way is in the way and we're going to destroy it. Mm. Yeah. That was a, I think I had that early in meditation. My editor was like, here's a few things. Can you cover? (laughs) Which was helpful. But she was like, can you cover the, uh, what is it called? The morning of the masses. I don't remember Mm. what it's called. There's like a way of which it's phrased about the murder of all these baby boys. Mm. And I was like, well, that's a tough subject to cover (laughs) in a... In an advent book. <laughs> but I think it, it made sense. It tied into this, like, this politics and power and, mm. and what a different, uh, what a different relationship mm-hmm. that Jesus has with power than we do, or at least we're invited into. As we kind of turn the corner to, to wrap, I'm wondering what this, cause if, if people are going into churches this next week, like Brett said, they'll There'll be a sermon on peace, maybe. Um, we're, the focus of this second week of Advent is typically around peace. Um, how does this vulnerability, because I'm just going to be honest, like I, I'm i an Enneagram one, so I'm not like him. He's an eight, my, my, okay. my big eight here. So vulnerability is a challenge, though, for both of us in very different ways. And I think it's it's hard for anyone. It doesn't matter what yeah. number you are. Yeah. Um, but I I don't like being vulnerable to um, to pain in a lot of ways that, that it feels disruptive. And so what I'd love for you to answer is like, what's the invitation for us into vulnerability that would bring us peace? Mm-hmm. How does vulnerability grant us a peace? Um because that's what we're after. And maybe we've misinterpreted the peace of comfort for mm. the inner peace that God desires to bring. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sitting here thinking vulnerability brings me horror and fear <laughs> yeah. and trepidation. So I'd love to hear your answer. Uh, <laughs> well, let's, let's see if this all pays off. Uh, that's the big question. I... Yes. When I, when I talk about vulnerability, um, I think it's maybe it's helpful to go. It's, there's something behind the first vulnerability. Mm. It's, there's like, it's the thing behind the thing behind the thing. And, um, like, like in this season, in this global pandemic, Mm -hmm. we are, uh, very aware of a lot of our vulnerabilities We've been, uh, like the way that society functions, a lot of things need to happen for us to feel secure. And a lot of those things are uh, not happening. Mm-hmm. And so we, we feel insecure and we're frightened by it. Um, but probably the, one of the main things, and leave it to an Enneagram 4 artist to bring up dying, but I think one <laughs> of the like main vulnerabilities, one of the things we spend the most time ignoring is that we're going to die one day, mm-hmm. that we're actually finite, that life is really short in the span of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's only when you go to a funeral or maybe a celebrity dies that you're like, Oh, really them? Oh, okay. Uh, that you're made aware of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, every day now, whether we're consciously taking it in, we're being told, Hey, you can possibly die. Mm-hmm. Like that line between life and death is really close. And that's a, that's not a fun vulnerability. Um, one of the things that I've had to do in my life, uh, and I'll use the words of poet David White, is that we need to have a conversation with our eventual disappearance. Mm. And what he offers is saying, instead of being caught off guard by the end, why don't you apprentice yourself now to that end and allow that conversation to rearrange how you want to live now? Mm. And that piece of advice has been invaluable in my life. I, in fact, every week do a little death practice. There's Mm. actually a spiritual practice called the death practice. This is you find a spot, 
by yourself and you lay down on the ground mm. and you pretend that you're in your casket and you're about to move on to whatever's next. Mm. And in that moment, just what, what happens in that moment when you will be in your casket is that you're going to have to let go of everything you've ever been given. Mm. And so just slowly start working through those things. Just slowly, with gratitude, I, I like to say Marie Kondo your whole mm. life. Just find that spark of joy and give it gratitude and let it go. And what happens when you do that is uh, what really matters comes to the surface. Mm. And, and all the other things that you're told are important that really aren't slowly dissolve out, out of the way. And for me, I found that the, the treasure in that hard and vulnerable conversation is that it helps me realign to what really matters. Yeah. Um, because like, uh, and this came about from Bronnie Ware's work. She wrote this blog post over a decade ago called the five regrets of the dying. She was this mm. hospice, hospice care worker. Who yes. After nine years said, okay. You know, people say the same things when they die mm. and right. they're all things like, uh, I wish I would have stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I would have enjoyed my life more. I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. Mm. Uh, I wish I, and the number one thing was, I wish I had the courage to be the person I knew that I was instead of being the person I thought people wanted me to be. Mm. That's the number one. So the number one thing that human beings say before they die is that is I wish I had the courage to be who I knew I was. So what are the ways that you're ignoring that? If that's going to be your largest regret, how could you have that conversation so that you could realign for the decisions you're going to make today? Mm. And so that's where I, that's what, that's kind of a picture into like, what's the vulnerability? What's the thing you're afraid of? Well, how could a conversation with that mm. help you align with living today? Mm. I, I don't think. Our, and I say this, I think I write this in the book. I was like, I don't think our deepest question is, does God exist or not? I think our deeper question is, does God exist in all of this? Mm-hmm. Like your life, my life, our life. Is God aware of the details of our life? Mm-hmm. Which is to ask, is God good? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the real question. Is God good? And I mm-hmm. think our vulnerabilities, our strengths don't force... Our, our, our strengths aren't easy ways to have that conversation. Our vulnerabilities are yeah. easier ways to have that conversation. And I think that's the, that's the work. That's why vulnerability is an essential part of spirituality because it gets us to the, the deeper thing, which is God, are you aware of my life right now? Yeah. So that's, that is the, that is how I think we have the touch points of vulnerability as our way to access uh, a mm. divine conversation. And yeah. a peace because knowing, entering through those vulnerabilities, God always reveals, I am here. I am good. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, and I'm in you and, and everything. Um, yeah. I, there, the first time that I heard about considering death daily as a practice was at, a monastery in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I took two silent retreats from Macrina Whitaker and she's a Benedictine monk. And she said, one of the practices of St. Benedict was to consider death daily and to Mm. her room at the monastery actually overlooked um, the graveyard where they buried (laughs) all of the nuns. And the last time I was with her was a month before she passed away. And she invited me into her little hermitage room, which was rare because I wasn't an oblate and I wasn't, I mean, I was just a renegade Southern Baptist girl who'd come to take a retreat from her. And we got to, um, sit together. She had brain cancer. It was, she had just written, I don't, she was a writer an Enneagram four as well. Um, I'm always drawn to these Enneagram four. Like I, I swing (laughs) between these fours and sevens because you guys teach me. And, um, and, you know, she said, look, look at the graveyard. This is what I get. To, I've, I've already been considering. I've, I've considered mm-hmm. it every day, Emily. Look, at, look out the window. I look at the witnesses who've gone before me and who got to witness my life. And, um, yeah, she called this her spiritual director a tree. You know, she was blowing my, like, mind <laughs> all up. She oh, was like, do great. you want to meet my spiritual director? And I was like, sure. And she was like, there, there she is. And I was like where it was a tree. And so I just, I love that invitation (laughs) to consider, um, a very, very vulnerable way to look at our weaknesses that can eventually bring us peace. I think that was Mm -hmm. a great, that was a great way to put that. 
Well, the, uh, I'm in the midst of my next book, which is this show, Say Yes, translating mm. into a book. So I'm, I'm writing all about this stuff. Now, when you say uh, show, are you talking about a podcast? Mm. No, I have... A musical. I, it's, I mean, it's been on... Yeah, it's kind of a musical. Okay. It's a, it's a, a one-man performance show that, that I've you been do? touring. I've been touring for a year and a half and then awesome. it's been on pause since for COVID, but it's called say yes, a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. Awesome. And it, and it is a art show, storytelling, comedy, musical, uh, weirdness, mental health, spiritual practices about the voice of giving up in our lives and how do we keep going? And, uh, the last big segment is about a conversation with death. Wow. And we actually, it's what I always wanted to do as an Enneagram four, but actually we all go to our funeral at the end <sighs> for a bit. And then we all get resurrected. We all die and we all resurrect. And, uh, because what happens in that moment is, uh, is that realignment mm. is that, uh, I would actually say St. Ignatius said that the way that, uh, God speaks the loudest in your life about your vocation, your calling is through your desires, and that mm. takes discernment. <laughs> and what happens in that death process is that your deepest desires come to the surface in the form of your regrets, which is, I always wish I would have done this. Mm. I wish. And I, uh, I practice that now. Uh, I mean, I look, if you endeavor to be an artist, it's a very thrifty existence. But the last few years, have I've, I figured <laughs> out my revenue streams, and I'm doing all right. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of, <clears throat> I don't have to take everything that comes my way. I have yeah. a lot of freedom to choose and decide, but, and, and, uh, now at that level, I take really seriously what I should work on. Cause I don't have a ton of time. Mm. I have children and all these things. So what is this? And so I, I'm always like engaging, like what's the deepest thing? Mm. Because that is, I would believe what God is actually asking me to do. Mm. So <clears throat> and anytime I'm offered like a gig, that's something I really want to do. Like I just got offered to illustrate in this film. I will, I will like step away and I will mm. pretend I'm dying <laughs> and I will go, yeah. well, I'll go, what if this is the last project you did before you wow. died? Would you be okay with that? And that's a little extreme to put that pressure on a work project. But if I go, no, then I go, well, why not? Mm. What would you have rather done? Mm. It's like, well, I wish I would have done this at the end. It's like, and what that does is it helps me get in touch with the compass. Yeah. It helps me get in touch with that inner compass. And it's like, oh, well, you would have rather done that. Well, why aren't you doing that now? Right. Oh, like that's the real conversation. Yeah. That's the reorientation. That's the reorientation, mm -hmm. which is like, so you have this thing that if you died today, that's the thing you would regret the most. What You should be doing that. You should be moving towards that because that is your deepest desire in you. Oh, and so, so death... Good. Death helps reveal that in a way. Mm. Um, that's why when people get in like near like car accidents or near death experience, they're like on the other side. They're like, I have to rethink everything, yep. <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. it just calls bullshit on all yeah. the things you thought you should be doing and thought you should be acquiring and thought your life should look like, and it gets to the real. It's to the real. So did I hear you right that the finale of your show is you painting regrets and then you spin it and it's <laughs> and it's the dreams? <laughs> I wanna I want a cut of that, bro. I want a royalty on that idea. <laughs> it doesn't spin. But I do the painting I have been, <laughs> the painting I've been working on the whole time does change. But it doesn't oh, yes. it doesn't spin. It's a trick. No, oh, it's been. that's awesome. Oh my gosh. See, you're so quiet, Brett. You're so quiet, and then you like come out with these like zingers. Oh, that, like, that was so satisfying. Yeah, that's great. I love a good callback. That's that great. Is, that is comedy gold. Absolutely. Well, we gotta put bookends on this bad boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Scott, you are a treasure. You're a gift to yes, the world you. right now. You are inviting us into something. I'm going to say to our listeners that if, um, you know, we know this is a series on Advent. This is a book called Honest Advent. But as we said earlier, this is a book about life. This is a book about reorientation. Um, and I, you just need to have it. You, you yeah. need to have it. And so go grab a copy. And then post pandemic, we're going to be looking for your show. Oh, yeah. You guys are in Waco, right? We're yeah. in Waco. Come on down. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll find a stage. We're, it's 
already in the works. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, good. like, let's make it happen. Okay. We'll find, a, we'll find a place. We got it. We got the place. Yeah, we, we know people. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll set it up when it's safe Great. to gather together. Let's yeah, go. Let's yeah, yeah. Go. I would love it. Thanks so much for joining us. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, I'm going to give you my address. No, uh, <laughs> uh, like, just come right over. <laughs> uh, I, I'm on social media, mostly Instagram, and I'm Scott the Painter, and you can find my work there. Uh, my website is scotterickssonart.com and honestadvent, honestadvent.com. Nobody had taken that. And, all right. Uh, so you can find all the information there. There's some downloadable resources like questions and guides, sermon notes, and an art show, all great things. That's good. And I just, I want to say this too. I, I, I don't know. Men need to read this book. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy for women to go, oh, I just love Advent and <laughs> I'm going to read about Advent and. Blah, blah, blah. But in there, men, get off your asses and read about Advent and do it with this book. Mm, okay. Mm. There you go. There you go. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing the heat. Oh, well. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.